Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, this is Kincaid in Breckenridge. Uh, if you missed the show today, here's what you missed. We, we talked to a criminal defense lawyer about your charter rights when you're uh, on the side of the road being charged with impaired driving. There's a strange case in Ontario where a woman was accidentally, incidentally strip-searched, and it caused them to throw out her breathalyzer results. She beat the charge. Also, the case for more recess. We heard from a researcher in Texas and a pilot project down there where kids are getting four recesses a day, and we're seeing much better outcomes, whether that's something we should apply here. You can listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge. We're on the air Mondays to Fridays, 9.30 to 12.30, right here on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. An interesting story today regarding the criminal justice system. And, look, we've talked a lot about the, the need to crack down on drunk driving and, and holding drunk drivers accountable. Uh, but there's also the other side of it, right? I mean, there's, there's the rights we're guaranteed as Canadians. When, when you engage with the police, when the police accuse you of a crime or arrest you and charge you with a crime, you still have rights. And those, those rights are spelled out in the Charter. There are Section 7 rights, which guarantee security of the person, and also Section 8, which deal with unreasonable searches. So if uh, those rights are violated, then, you know, it, it's, it's conceivable that any case against you would fall apart. If you're accused, Roger, of, of uh, being in possession of, of something illegal and the police illegally search you as part of that investigation, well, they can't really use that evidence against you. You can't use an illegal search against somebody. Right. It's your charter rights guarantee this. But there's a question here now. Let's, let's say that I'm in possession of something illegal which I'm illegally searched for, and it's, it's uh, discovered. But the crime I committed has nothing to do with that item. Instead, I stole a bunch of fur coats from Holt Renfrew. Can you toss out the theft charges just because you found some too much marijuana on me? Right, and, and so here's where we are. This is a, a, a case in Ontario where a judge has now dismissed the case of impaired driving against a woman because of what the judge deemed to be an unreasonable search, a violation of her Section 8 rights. So the woman was was pulled over, uh, found to be impaired, and at some point police decided they needed to make sure she wasn't carrying any weapons. So rather than just pat her down, uh, they did what essentially amounted to a strip search, unzipped the tight sweater she was wearing, and underneath all that was there was... A see-through bra. Yeah. Now, listen, if you if you were there watching it, or, you know, if you go by the most, what I would say is most neutral, uh, reasonable, unbiased account of the situation, you could sort of see how this folly happened. So this woman blew into a breathalyzer, and she blew more than double the limit. So she's drunk. She's driving drunk, according to the breathalyzer results, and gets out of the car. And in this non-pat-down search that they decided to do, they unzipped a sweater because she wore a big sweater. She probably got a T-shirt on underneath. So they unzipped it, and whoops, oh, no. All she's wearing is the, you know, the boots that go just up below her knee, some black tights, and then this sweater with the zipper on the front and a brassiere that's kind of see-through. <laughs> let's, let's get this zip back up. The cop, the female cop, 
is struggling to get the zipper done up, and so this brassiere and presumably her breasts are exposed to the two, are understood, rather, to be exposed to the two male cops that are on the scene who ask the female to do the search because they're just a meter away, so they must have seen her. So, like, you can sort of understand how this whole thing might have happened, gets brought before the judge, and apparently the defense lawyer couldn't decide whether or not this was a Section 7 violation or a Section 8 violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So the judge decided for him and said, well, let's call it Section 8. And by the way, since this shouldn't have gone down this way, and since your charter rights are violated, I'm taking that breathalyzer result, I'm throwing it out. In so doing, eliminated all the evidence that they had for the crime that she was charged with, impaired yeah, driving. That's what's interesting. No issue about the collection of the breast sample. Joining us for some further thoughts on this case, Craig Bottomley is, is on the line with us. He, he's a criminal defense attorney. Uh, Craig, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So how relevant are these, these, these Section 8 questions about unreasonable search? Uh, well, they're the, the core of almost every uh, drinking and driving case. There's not usually a lot of question in drinking and driving cases whether or not uh, alcohol has been consumed. Uh, we, you know, we have fairly scientific ways of determining what someone's blood alcohol content. Uh, what the defenses generally are is: Did the police abide by our constitution? Did they follow the rules that we've set out? Uh, and these aren't new rules, right? This has been uh, very thoroughly canvassed area of case law in relation to strip searches, and um, when they when they engage in the in the investigation and do they follow the rules if they don't follow the rules the the police run the risk of either having the charges stayed which is likely what the remedy would have been under section 7 or having the evidence thrown out uh, section 8 uh, there's a case from the Supreme Court of Canada called Golden uh, which was a really egregious uh, strip search of a gentleman in a subway sandwiches shop where the police had pulled down his pants they were looking for drugs they knew he had the drugs and they decided to strip search him in the subway sandwiches uh, subway sandwich shop and uh, and I could get into the the graphic details of, of it if you wanted to but they're pretty shocking and the court said listen you, if you're gonna strip someone naked there's going to be a, a protocol put in place certainly you don't do it at the side of the road uh, I can't imagine following a, a pat-down search uh, of a woman uh, at the side of the road why the police would think she would have a weapon hidden or something hidden under her sweater uh, having already done the pat-down and found nothing and felt they had to unzip the sweater if they're going to start engaging things like things like that and the judge characterized it as a, as a careless uh, breach of her rights if they're going to be careless in the way they conduct these searches uh, there's a very real risk that the judge will throw out uh, will give her some remedy because you've got to have a remedy right it can't just be uh, a right without a remedy will throw out the breath results Okay, so I'll agree with you. We need a remedy, but there's a problem that I have here, Craig, is that I, Roger Kincaid, I don't get a remedy because this woman, um, if it's true and if, if the evidence was solid enough that it could have convicted her on the charge, then she would be uh, someone who drives drunk, and that's, that's a danger to society. So You do get a remedy. Uh, you get a remedy where you live in a country where you have a charter that means something that has some teeth and there is a robust interpretation of what your right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure means. Right? So it means that you, Roger Kincaid, walking down the street, the police can't look at you and go, you know, I don't like the looks of that guy. Let's go stop him. Let's frisk him. Uh, let's, uh, you know what, let's take off his pants. Let's see what he's got going on under there. Maybe he's got a weapon. Maybe he doesn't. It would be completely unreasonable and be a country you don't want to live in. 
And there are countries like that where the police have vast powers and very few checks on their powers. Uh, but that's not Canada. And the pro- and this is where we make good on the promises of democracy is in a courtroom and where we throw out evidence that has people, uh, you know, have their breasts exposed to two male police officers at the side of the road for no apparent reason. So why is this the, the inevitable outcome of that kind of a situation? Because if you want to make the case of the obtaining the breast sample, that that was all legitimate and that this was inappropriate, someone might say, well, you know, maybe we just sanction the cops, say that was uh, an inappropriate uh, search you conducted, you know, you guys are suspended for a, a month or something like that. Why, why does the entire case come apart? Sure, let's do that. I'd love it. I would love the, I think that would have a massive effect on uh, on charter rights in Canada. If you started suspending police officers who br- were found to breach the charter, I think you would see far less breaches of the charter. Uh, but well, but the, there's no personal stake in this for the police. Uh, the police officer, it's no skin off his nose if they throw out the results. He may be a little irritated for a half an hour, uh, but He's going back out to the job. He's going to get paid for the rest of the month. He's going to keep working. He's going to keep doing a job that he probably loves, and, and most cops are really good at. Uh, I would I would love it as a remedy if we started fining police officers or if we started suspending them or if we started keeping track of their violations. Uh, but the way the charter is uh, worded now, or the, the normal remedy under Section 24.2 of the charter is where you have a violation. Uh, the remedy is if you can make some sort of nexus to the to the evidence collected, that evidence can get tossed out. And that's, that's the remedy that we've chosen. And I think you would find uh, that police officers, if given the choice between a month-long suspension without pay and having the evidence excluded would much prefer the system that we currently operate on. Right, but that's bad again for me. Like, I think sure. that I can have both remedies here. I, I perfectly support uh, the idea that the the, uh, the complainant in this case deserves uh, the remedy, to, that, that the cops should be sanctioned, that her charter rights were violated, and there should be a remedy there. But she still was charged with this other offense. Yeah, and that's... they collected the evidence uh, on that, it seems, according to uh, a reasonable uh, reasonable means according to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So why is it that, that I, I still lose? And, and I don't I don't fault the cops here. I'm willing to believe, give the cops the benefit of the doubt, that this was just a comedy of errors that never should have happened. That doesn't uh, mean that's, that uh, her rights weren't violated. But it's the judge here who has decided that this evidence, which has been entered into court so that we can convict this person and protect the public, I'm going to toss that out. Uh, yeah, so the test he's got to consider, the judge has to consider, is will the admission of the evidence bring the administration of justice into disrepute? And if we keep uh, admitting evidence into trials and convicting people on evidence that uh, is gained in violation of the charter, then your charter stops meaning anything and your, your trial rights stop meaning anything and the police run around unchecked. So uh, if the judge, by excluding the evidence, is safeguarding uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and is safeguarding the criminal justice system. So that's that's the that's the remedy that you get. That's the remedy that the public gets. So what should the fallout from this be? I mean, what, what do police forces need to to take from this? Uh, well, the the lesson here is not a new one. As I say, the the Golden case is from the 1990s. Uh, we have had a rash of cases uh, in Toronto, where I practice criminal law. Uh, of uh, charges getting thrown out for strip search. There's no reason, really, uh, to strip search someone in a drinking and driving case. Like, what do you think? They're going to be hiding a beer under their pants? Like, it's, it's right. 
pretty it's pretty ridiculous to be searching someone unless you're going to be holding them in custody overnight uh, and transporting them to a courthouse in the morning there's no reason to to be doing that kind of level of search and and the police know this they they know this there was a there was a, a fairly notorious case out of Ottawa a couple of years ago where the police uh, stripped a woman and took away her bra because they felt that the underwire in it could be used uh, as a as a weapon uh, you know at, at some point uh, the police have to learn the lesson that they've got to respect people's dignity. They've got to use some common sense when it comes to the demeaning act of stripping someone naked. Uh, and if they don't, then they're going to see their cases fall apart and they're going to have radio talk shows sort of questioning what the police are doing on these cases where they're not learning that lesson. Right. Well, Craig, it's been an interesting conversation. I, I imagine it would be more helpful if that uh, that incident in Golden led to some, some sort of oh, I don't know, a rule that could be easily referenced in discussions like this. There, it's a well-known case. The police get trained on it. Uh, yeah. This is a this is a mistake. This is a level of uh, carelessness that never should have happened. All right, perfect, Craig. Thanks so much for your help today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. That's Craig Bottomley, criminal defense lawyer. Uh, we reached him in Toronto. I, yeah, I think I'm onto something there, Rob. Mm-hmm. But if you could just re- easily reference that one case and the and the rule that it generated. All right, well, let's uh, let's take a break here. A lot of people are <laughs> texting in response to this, 974-8255, can call us as well. Um, is, is this uh, a sufficient way to protect people's charter rights, or was this uh, an overreaction uh, by tossing the whole case? It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on Newstock 770. Hey, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge Show. We're, we're just uh, we're, we're caught up in the, in the, in the saving of, uh, of Michelle Dobine which we'll get to in moments here. It'll be a, a nice treat for you heading into your lunch break. We were worried about Michelle. She nearly perished in, in a oh fire. But, but it's a harrowing account of what she went through. It really uh, is. Tulsa, and Oklahoma. The fact that she was able to grab her kids and bounce really bounce makes... Right out of there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a lot of texts coming in regarding this, this woman in the uh, drunk driving case in B.C. Let's uh, go through some of them here. This one here says, Really, the police officers and their ineptitude let a drunk driver go. The law is the law. Uh, someone else, though, says, look, if she'd had a gun and shot the cop, would we be having a different conversation? It is reasonable when you've already broken the law. Well, okay, first of all, this woman was accused of breaking the law. Right? I think we've established that um, when you're charged with drunk driving, you're charged with drunk driving, not convicted of drunk driving. So, yeah, the police accused her of a crime. But if we assume that it was a really strong case they had, being accused of a crime does not admit you surrender your charter rights so the notion that she might have broken the law or maybe we could even say did break the law doesn't mean that she no longer has any rights and i think that's something important to consider here so by the way she was handcuffed too so i don't know how she would have shot anybody you know she had a gun pinned up under her tight-fitting sweater yeah we, we play the well what if what if what if game but at the same time we have to be reasonable about the what ifs and look, certainly, if you want to say, hey, what if she had a weapon? Yeah, that's fine. Um, when I go to the airport to get on an airplane, I might have a weapon tucked underneath my, my clothes. But they don't strip search me. They pat me down. They go through a bunch of other measures because a strip search would be deemed unreasonable. I don't think, and, and this, again, goes along with my line of trying to give the cops the benefit of the doubt here, um, that when they unzipped her sweater, as the, the female police officer in her account said, I expected under her sweater, that zip-up sweater, she would have a T-shirt on underneath it or something else underneath it. 
And that's why the term undergarments pops up so much in this judgment, because there's the judge then has to take into account what's underneath the sweater, even if it is a T-shirt or a tank top or something, is that considered an undergarment, which is not for the public to see? Now, in this case, she was just wearing a rather scant brassiere, which is quite clearly an undergarment that she does not intend for the public to see. So I'm willing to believe that the female police officer who unzipped her sweater while she was handcuffed did not mean to uh, to expose her this woman's bra to her male police officer colleagues in so doing. But that's the result of what happened when they underwent what suddenly became a strip search and consequently violated her charter right to unreasonable search and seizure. Right. Well, and, and no, I agree with the lawyer, and I think that the, you know this was the appropriate outcome here, uh, given what went down. She was handcuffed and had been patted down already, and if there was uh, some kind of need for an additional search, that it could have been done elsewhere. I think that that was sufficient to ensure that there there was no immediate threat. The pat down and, and having this this woman handcuffed, police went further, and, and as the judge found, they went too far. Now, if you want to play the what if game, what if she did have a firearm, but she'd used that gun in the commission of an offense? And it was the one piece of evidence that could convict her in the commission of that offense. And she was charged with that at the side of that road. And then in checking to see if she had some other weapons upon her, without doing a pat-down, they unzipped her hoodie and the exact same thing transpires. And the argument is successfully made in court that this constitutes unreasonable search and seizure. Well, that, that case would have fall, fall, fallen apart, too. Would you throw away the seemingly violent offense that she may have committed by firing a gun? Just because, well, we got to toss that evidence out. Now what have you got? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, uh, the, these charter rights need to matter. And so I, I think, you know, as, as uh, our guest said, we need to live in a country where, where that matters. Well, sure. No, absolutely. There's no question about it. Now, uh, before we go to lunch and the news to noon, uh, this is just, <clears throat> you know, you, you, sometimes you get a TV camera in the right place at the right time that can catch, uh, capture such a harrowing account. And it's, it's not... Um, uh, this is a difficult one to set up. All I can say is, I think I speak for you, Rob, when I say that we're both thrilled that Michelle Dobine uh, is, is safely out of her burning apartment building in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, and here's uh, how she described it. My friend came to the door. She said, well, I was on the phone cooking me and my baby some breakfast. And she said, hey, something wrong. It's popping. I said, what? She said, yeah. I said, no. So the girl come downstairs. She come out her apartment with her baby with no shoes on. I said, oh, girl, it's cold outside. She said, something ain't right. I said, oh, man. She said, oh, man, the building is on fire. I said, no, what? I got my three kids and we bounced out. Uh-uh, we ain't going to be in no fire. Not today. Whew. Close one. It was a very close one. Whew. Now, what, what was it that happened to her again? Oh, man. Oh, wait a second. I said, no. The building is on fire. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. Heroin. I'd be yeah, very heroic. I'd be I'd be that excited too if I had escaped a burning building with my with my babies. The building is on fire. Right. The news to noon is next. There's a remix of that already, by the way. If there's time before we're out of here at one o'clock, we'll get to it. Kincaid and Breckenridge, News Talk seven seventy. All right, last hour of the show for my good friend Rob and I. Normally we would um We'd, we'd only be here till 12.30, but we're going to go till 1 today because Danielle Smith is uh, on some sort of a holiday. I think she's on a 
one of those cruises where they dress the cruise up like a pirate ship and you and then you wow. uh yeah that means uh, Andrew Lawton's uh, filling in, so he's on from 1 to 3 this afternoon. That's what I was, getting at. I was getting at that. Yeah, I was just taking a really circuitous route. Uh, but, yeah, you'll hear Andrew Lawton at uh, 1 o'clock. He's got a great uh, program lined up. And uh, they do plan to take you to uh, uh, media availability that the Premier is making at uh, 1.30. So you'll get to hear that here live on News Talk 770. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear because uh, they've uh, submitted their response to the uh, NEB, and uh, they're very much supportive of the Trans Mountain uh, Pipeline, the expansion of this pipeline, which the B.C. government has come out against. So. Uh, how's Notley going to respond to, to all of this? We'll hear from the Premier at 1.30 this afternoon. Later in this hour, we're going to talk about freedom of speech, academic freedom, uh, the story of one professor who was uh, fired, I guess, essentially dismissed, uh, because he had his students sign a, a consent form to using foul language in the classroom. It's an interesting story, and to violate his, his academic freedom, even his freedom of speech, to dismiss him for this. All right, we're going to uh, take the classroom story a little bit younger now, though, decidedly younger, in fact. And, Rob, I don't know, but if, if you're like me, I like my kids to have a lot of time outside to play. <laughs> I suppose you do. <laughs> uh, as do I with, with my human child. <laughs> right, children. Right. Yeah. right, I only have canine children or something like that. No, listen, I don't have kids, but this is something that I've been advocating for since I was six years old, more Recess, And it turns out that kids uh, who want more recess and ask for and plead for more recess, maybe they should get it because there are some uh, some pilot projects, if you will, where they're sending kids outside a little bit more frequently during the school day, in some cases tripling, tripling the amount of recess time that kids get. And the results are pretty good. Pretty desirable. Yeah. I, I've always asked my kids, you know, what would you do at recess today? Tell me about recess. And, you know, I want to know that they're outside and they're running around. And it's so disconcerting. And we had this conversation recently. I think you were away last week. We had this conversation about whether Canadians are out enjoying uh, winter as much as, as we should, right? And, you know, when it's minus 10 or minus 15 and you hear that they did indoor recess and they sat around and played cards, I'm, really? The kids need to be running around. And, you know, I mean, we're a winter country. Kids should be outside running around in winter. That's that's how it is. Let's uh, let's get to our guest. This is Dr. Debbie Ray, who joins us now, Associate Dean of Research and Health and Sciences Professor uh, of Kinesiology at TCU uh, Link Project Director in Fort Worth, Texas. And, Rob, what did we figure? It's the Horned Frogs at TCU. The Horned Frogs. Go Horned that's Frogs. Right. Welcome to the program, Doctor. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, it is the Horned Frogs. <laughs> I, get my, I, I get the frog and the toad mixed up from time to time. I forget which one you're supposed to lick to get high. But, uh, uh, yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> Thank uh, you for having me on today. No, it's a great pleasure to have you here, and this is a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting concept. Like I said, as a six-year-old, I advocated for more recess time. It turns out that I was onto something. Yes, you were. They, they could have paid you for this all these years, and you'd be rich, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what's, what are we finding here? When they, this one school that I, I know of, Eagle Mountain Elementary School in Fort, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, where you are, uh, tried this out, tripling the amount of recess, recess breaks they give to kids, and what did they find? Yeah, so we're actually in two different school districts, four different schools. And Eagle Mountain Elementary is one of them, and then we're also in another school district with three other schools. And in all four schools, we're finding that the classroom behaviors are um, getting better on a regular basis. Academic achievement is getting stronger. Now, we don't know this in the public schools yet on academic achievement because we're just in our first semester of that. So we'll be in our second semester now. 
Um, but in the private schools that we started in three years ago, we're seeing that academic achievement is getting better. And then their student character is significantly improving as well. And why do we think that is? What, what are the benefits of recess? Benefits of recess, it depends on um, what definition you're looking for, but the unstructured piece gets at problem-solving, creativity, and critical thinking skills. But the other part about the unstructured recess being outdoors, which is the, you were talking about that earlier, the outdoors is very important because of the colors, the oxygen, the fresh oxygen, and the lighting, the, the very uh, natural lighting. And so all of these things all mixed together create an awesome position for kids to be able to not only have social and health, healthy well-being, but also the cognitive piece as well because the brain functions at a much higher level. Okay, I might come at this and just think to myself, look, if you let kids outside more frequently to blow off steam and, and you know, get their pent-up energy out, they'll be a lot calmer and more capable uh, of receiving lessons when, when they're in the classroom. But it sounds to me like it's, it's far more in-depth than that from, from the perspective of, of someone like you. Absolutely. Now, I totally agree with what you're saying, that just blowing off steam is good because that blowing off steam is the pent-up energy that they're sitting with inside the classroom. That takes me to another position, which is um, if you think about kids as youngsters between the ages of being born all the way up through really 7th, 8th grade, these kids are um, they're, they're very much, their bodies are required to move. They need that movement in order to uh, build the highways in the, in the brain. And when you sit them for too long, they have to get out and act like little tornadoes, you know, just going everywhere. <laughs> but we're also seeing that the boys are needing it even more than the girls. Not necessarily significantly more, but we know that it has become very advantageous for the boys because they don't seem to sit quite as nicely as girls do, they get in more trouble. So with this also creates less discipline issues. But what about the argument, though, that, that kind of goes against the opposite of, of what my colleague here suggested, that, that when kids are outside running around, now all of a sudden they're all hyped up, they're, they're all wound up, and, and that if you have more recess, it's just going to mean taking more time to settle them down. Thanks for asking that question. That's awesome. Um, what we found is that Having more recess throughout the day actually helps them to be more settled when they go back in the classroom. They're more focused. Uh, we're seeing that within a minute to two minutes max from going from recess back into the classroom, they're already settled and doing their work. The most fidgety they become, which is just moving in their seats and trying to get their brains to wake up, is right before they go to recess, about 45, 50 minutes into the class period. And in this particular study, we're doing breaks every 45 minutes to an hour, five minutes, depending on how their schedule breaks out. You know, going back to something you said just a moment ago, Doctor, you talked about uh, some of the benefits of recess being things like problem solving. Um, I forget the three components. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. Creativity. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Those three components. And then you talked about, you know, vibrant, uh, vibrant colors, uh, the natural light, all these benefits. Mm -hmm. um, could someone then make the argument that you could just have better decorated classrooms with uh, better light uh, technology in there and, and structure lessons to take uh, to have more regard for creativity and critical thinking. Um, or, or is the physical component of it vital, the vital component that can't be missing? 
Another great question. So we have had control schools matched with the intervention schools. And the control schools are doing exactly that. They're doing some movement in the classroom. They're getting up and doing go noodle and some other activities where they move around in the classroom for two to five minutes, something like that. And uh, we're allowing them to do it. Go ahead and do what you normally do. And what we're finding is is that it's not changing any of the measures that we're observing out there. Uh, it's actually not changing at all. So there's no benefit to the movement in the classroom. What we're finding is they really do need to get out outside, blow off the steam, if you want to call it that. Uh, but really, it's do whatever their body requires. And I'm very, very strongly influenced by this. It's not about that everybody has to get out and we're going to measure their physical activity patterns because not all kids need to move the whole time that we're out there. Some kids just need to be able to sit and let the sun be on them for a minute or think through a process that was just happening in class or maybe just have some time to themselves. So it's not every every child is reacting to this differently, and it's okay. We're okay with that. Is there a distinction to be drawn between recess and, and gym class? Yes. So recess is unstructured and outdoor, and there's no emphasis on rules. Well, let me back up. There are there is emphasis that they have to you know abide by safety yeah, rules, right. but there's no rule that says you have to play this way or you have to go over here and do this activity. Uh, there's no development rule about you've got to learn how to run this way or you need to learn how to do a particular skill this way. So the physical education is needed for the development of motor skills, the from a from a uh, task perspective, but the unstructured piece is needed for their own social development as well as learning their own rules and regulations around social behaviors with kids and confidence and self-esteem and all kinds of leadership, all kinds of things like that. And then it's also the unstructured piece is there for them to choose how they do their unstructured time. But there, many of them are playing. Many of them are out running around and doing what they need to do to get that steam off. Now, the one concern, I think, would be the lack of time, uh, or, or I guess the borrowing of time, right? Because you're borrowing from class time to give recess time, so yep. does it balance? Yeah, so here's the, here's the unique thing. Everybody thinks that if we're going to add 15 minutes four times a day, so an hour extra of time, where are we going to find the other extra time because there's so much requirement on content? And the answer to that is is that I call it uh, distraction time. So if you think about children in a class who can't sit still because the material has gone on and on and on for a period of time, and I'll just interject here, we've been in those kind of meetings before too, haven't we, <laughs> where it just keeps going on and on and we want a break. Well, it's the I've same actually thing got one them. scheduled for okay. <laughs> Don't tell me it's right now. Okay? <laughs> no, it's not right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, they, they're sitting in that classroom, and they're, just, they're needing a break. So instead of the break happening, they start acting out, or they start having times where the teacher's calling them out, telling them to turn around, get back to work, do this, do that. And they spend up to two hours a day that we've measured on distraction time. Now, this is measuring before they start the link project. They'll, they'll spend up to two hours a day on getting rid of distractions in their classroom because they sit so much. So 
that hour of time is what I consider to be their distraction time. This is taking care of the distractions, getting them back on task, and when they come to the classroom, the teacher doesn't have to do that over and over and over again. Now, obviously, what, what you're seeing in, in, in these schools in Texas is, uh-huh. is confirming all of this, but as I understand, I mean, th- this builds off of what's, what's been the practice in, in Finland for some time. Is that right? It is, yes. In fact, uh, back in 2011, there was an article that came out in the Smithsonian Journal that talked about how Finland had gone from an F to an A+. Plus in um, their PISA scores, which are those global um, math, reading, and science scores. And these are competitive across many uh, of the nations. Canada is up there in one of the top scoring areas as well. Um, But Finland was at the top at first, second, and sixth in those three areas. And I read through that article and went, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting to me. I am a physical educator by trade. I taught in public schools for uh, 12 years, then went into the university level and trained them. And what I've seen progressively over the past few years is how out of control classrooms are getting, how socially and emotionally distracting the students are, and that nothing's getting done. And it's not the teacher's fault. It's actually because the kids just don't have the access to learn because of the brain dysfunction. So I went to, I said, you know, I've never taken a sabbatical from TCU, so I'm going to go to Finland on a sabbatical, and I'm going to learn about what they're doing and see if there's something we can bring back that can create the change. Now, you all have to understand that when I went to see this, it was like deja vu for me because I was born in the 50s, and being able to see what was going on in Finland looked remotely like something I experienced when I was going to school, which is what you were talking about earlier, having recess, you know, and enjoying it and wanting it more. So I went over there and realized that they were doing recess every hour. It's required. The the country requires it. Every hour they're supposed to have 15 minutes of unstructured outdoor playtime, and that's throughout the day. But what's interesting is in grades K and 1, actually they don't do kindergarten. They don't start until first grade. Grades first and second, they only go four and a half hours a day. That's two and a half hours less than what the U.S. schools go. We go average of seven. I don't know what it is in Canada, but it's it's seven hours here for even kindergartners and first graders. So that right there is already a, an issue. But then you add on top of that that no grade level matches seven hours all the way up through grade eight. They only go through six and a half hours up in grades six through eight. So I came back and I went, you know, this is this is something we can do. So I started talking to superintendents, which is our main uh, person for school districts, and said, hey, this is, you know, if we can just take two aspects, the recess portion and the character development portion, put those together, and let's see if we can do some stuff from a research perspective and see what it does. That's how I entertained it here when I came back, and it's it's working. I'd love to have it every hour, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. school, school districts don't quite want to go there yet. Right, and I guess that's the next step, right, is to sort of roll it into the program and say, here's how you implement it, and this mm-hmm. is, these are the benefits. Mm-hmm. Wow, uh, fascinating, yeah. very fascinating stuff, Doctor. Thanks so much for sharing it with us today. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me. All right, take care. Okay, I, thank you. All right, that's Dr. Debbie Ray from uh, Texas Christian University, TCU Horn Frogs.
We confirmed it. <laughs> She's the project director of Link, the Link Project, which is L-I-I-N-K. So you can actually go to linkproject.tcu.edu, which is uh, where they got the website and, and more on this research. But, it, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward. Well, especially on the, the face of that data, right? Of Finland and these PISA scores, which our ministers of education get our, you know, knickers bunched up about because those are sort of benchmarks that apparently our entire education system is judged upon from time to time. Um, that in Finland they went from an F plus to, or for, what'd you say? F to an A plus. Yeah. And the premise was, hey, give kids more time to play. They'll be more receptive to lessons and they'll, they'll have improvements in these scores if they're that important to you. But we're slow to adopt these things. Instead, we do the discovery math, which seems to me the complete opposite. <laughs> no kidding. Let's take a break. We'll come back. A lot of people texting a uh, response to this. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, pros and, and cons of recess. We're back with more right after this. All right, Kincaid and Breckenridge on Newstalk 770. Uh, I like this text. A lot of text uh, coming in. A lot of people really like what the, the, the guest had to say. Uh, this one, though, says, I agree with sending them outside, but I was unaware that there was fresh oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess oxygen is oxygen, but I think, you know, the point about fresh air, it's good to get some fresh air. Yeah. I also think one of the intangibles here is, like, making kids like going to school. And isn't that kind of one of the things about recess? You know, you get to go play soccer or kickball or tetherball, right? I should have started with tetherball. You get to go play all these games, which makes the environment more pleasurable for the young. And yeah. I, I, I think that, that there's some merit to that, too. Like, you know, I love that we're, we're speaking to Dr. Debbie Ray about it. And she's given us all the scientific reasoning behind it. But just as, you know, someone who was once a kid, it makes a lot of sense to me because I would actually want to go to school a lot more. I know, and it was too bad because where we are, and my daughter went to middle school in, in fifth grade, and there's no recess at the middle school. In fifth is, grade? Yeah. Oh, that's criminal. Which is terrible. Yeah. I know. Wow. So, nah, yeah, I think, yeah, we shouldn't just see it as something for little kids. I, you know, I think even older kids can benefit, too. Yeah, totally. Um, let's uh, shut her down right here for the news to 1230. We're going to do a, an overtime half hour, a little bonus, get you to 1 o'clock when Andrew Lawton fills in for uh, for Danielle Smith. But when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, freedom of speech and uh, the over-political correctness that's invading some of our academic institutions. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.